Today, I am extremely excited. I this is probably I think I've never been so pumped for an episode ever because I'm talking to someone that kind of motivates me a lot. But I'm not getting into much details. I'm gonna let him uh, talk for himself. Uh, a lot of people that listen to podcasts know this guy and follow his everyday adventures and stuff like that. He posts on Instagram. But Tim, uh, what's going on today, man? I um, just got done working out. Now I'm shoving my face with a little avocado, you know? Oh, nice. What'd you, where'd you work out today? Uh, we did like this type 2 fast twi- twitch muscle development. Um, so we did nine full max efforts of a Aerodyne bike, an assault bike, a uh, skier, and a rower for 200 meters each. And um, with full recovery in between them. So your my CNS is freaking jacked up right now. I can barely see straight. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good. As long as you push yourself, that's good. But just for um, a lot of people know who I'm talking to, but just for the people that do not know who Tim Kennedy is, just give a brief introduction of who you are, where you've been, what you like to do. Um, I don't know, stuff like that. Right, I'm... Um so I've been in Special Forces for 16 years. Um, before Special Forces, I was a college athlete and a professional fighter. So I was the only guy to have ever served as uh, an active duty Green Beret and fight professionally in the UFC. Um, fought for a couple of world titles, beat some world champions, got my ass handed to me in plenty of fights. Um so I, uh, in the military, I'm a 18 Zulu, which is a, a team sergeant, and uh, I am a special forces sniper, Green Beret. Um, went to Ranger School, fought in Afghanistan, Iraq, South America, Africa, and um, own a bunch of businesses to include Ranger Up, which is like a military lifestyle brand, and uh, Sheepdog Response and Whoobies. Sheepdog Response is like a, a tactical defensive tactics training school and a security consulting company. And then Woobies makes badass shoes. I have a supplement line called Live Relentless. And um, and then I work for, I guess, in the tactical industry, uh, helping manufacturers build great products and get those products sold. All right, so if, if, if you don't know, I want to resume for you, but this guy is just a badass. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, let, well, let's get started, but before we get started, just a little warm-up that I like to do every episode. It's called, um, actually, before that, there's something I want you to talk about, which is a quote that I see, I hear you saying a lot is, hurry up and fail. Can you just talk a little bit, like, what's behind that quote, and, and why do you live by it? I, I, think, I think 
the thing that stops a lot of people from succeeding is they never try. Um, you know, like all of those metaphors and analogies of like, you don't know if you're going to hit a home run unless you step in the batter box. Um, you know, it's not how many times Michael Jordan made that game winning shot. You know, it's, it's also the number of times that he missed Babe Ruth. How many times he step up and strike out, of course, being known as a greatest home run hitter ever. Um, so hurry up and fail isn't you rushing to failure. Um, it's a two-pronged mental approach. One is it's forcing you to step out and try. Now, there's nothing wrong with failure. If you don't try, um, then you'll never succeed. And if you don't try, you'll also never fail. Uh, so hurry up and fail. Go out and give it your best shot. Now, when you're going and giving it your best shot, you ultimately are not going to succeed like I'm, I'm learning to fly a helicopter right now. It's pretty embarrassing. Oh, um, and, uh, you know, actually 15 minutes ago was landing right back here. And, uh, I kind of had a jacked up hover with a shallow approach and, um, you know, like I didn't crash, but from a, a, a helicopter pers- pilot's perspective, like that's a failure. Um, but the next time I do it, I'm going to do a little bit better. So every time that you fail, just like your muscles, every time that you reach failure, your muscles are going to get a little bit stronger. Like if you try to run all out as fast as you can and you get out there and you're going to go 200 meters and then you feel like your heart's going to explode and you grab, and you fall on the side of the track, just breathing, your heart is pounding out of your chest, then um, like you just failed. That's a good thing because the next time you're going to be able to run a little bit further. You'll be able to run 210 meters and then 230 meters. And the next thing you know, you're breaking a world record for the 400. So that is that is that this mantra of hurry up and fail is push yourself to the breaking point because after you break, you're going to grow back stronger. I, I, yeah, I, I totally agree 100%, man. I mean, I don't want to keep hitting, hitting on the nail, but you said it all. I mean, I, I live by that every day, and I try to try to inspire the people next to me. But let's go ahead with the gun it, get it out of the way so we can get to the good stuff against the interview. And we're going to start off with what is your biggest pet peeve? Uh, I'm super OCD, so uh, I, I like... You, I know you like the smell of... Uh, of uh, I like clean, I like organized, I like, uh, you know, if you open like my, my gun safe, like... By caliber, things are put in a very particular order. Um, I uh, I hate unclean, gross, unkept people. <laughs> All right, what's your biggest flaw? Um, I have to do everything myself, like a perfectionist, you know. Yeah. Um, I uh, it's a, it's it's one of my flaws as a leader too, where like if somebody's not doing something the way that. I think it should be done. I get in there and get in the way and um, inhibit that person's ability to grow. Okay. What is your favorite thing about yourself? Um, I'm durable. Mm, yeah. All right. Uh, what is... I don't know. There's too much over here. If all jobs paid the same, what would you be working with? If all jobs paid the same, what would I be working with? Yeah. And you could have any job in the world, no matter what paycheck it is. I wouldn't change anything. I love what I do. It's what I do. Uh, What skill would you wish to have, but you currently don't? Fly a helicopter. What is your favorite place in the world? My favorite what? Place in the world. (sighs) 
Israel, or, or no, Argentina. Argentina. Have you been to Brazil? Yeah. We're, we're in Brazil. I actually, I actually lived in Brazil for fucking 12 years. Um, I'm a black belt under Hoyler Gracie. Um, oh, shit. So, like, I've been uh, in Rio and Sao Paulo and down, like, way south in the Rio Negro, um, like the tri-border region of northern yeah. Argentina. Yep. Um, spent a lot, a bunch of time down there in Misiones. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's, I love Brazil, man. It's awesome there. But let's go on. Have you ever felt invincible? <laughs> I'm sure you have. I guarantee you have. I definitely have. <laughs> and then I got blown up. And, um... And realize I was super not invincible. <laughs> uh, what is the last thing they did in public, and you're glad that nobody noticed? Mm, the last embarrassing thing I did, or the the last thing I did in public, and that I was happy that nobody noticed. Yeah. Um. I. I think I can sing, and I'm not sure if I can <laughs> sing. I know I, cr I crush like karaoke nights, but I have friends that are pretty talented musicians and they, they definitely have never asked me to be part of their bands. Oh. So I, um, I sing wholeheartedly in my car fairly frequently. I mean, it's not that any, I'm happy that no one saw me. I'm just happy that no one heard me. Yeah, you're right. What is your biggest failure in life? Biggest failure in life. Um... I do too much of what I'm already good at. Can you can you uh, explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, hurry up and fail. If you're going to live by that mantra, that means you have to move into realms where you're not, where you already ha haven't already mastered those things. Yeah. I think there was a, a slump. There are periods of my life where... Um, I was good at it, so I just kept doing it. Um, you know, easy paychecks, easy recognition, um, ego, easy ego stroking. Um, you know, to like, oh, he's a good shooter, or he's a good um, green beret, or he's a good fighter, or he's a, you know, and like riding on the like riding on my own coattails, staying on my own wagon for too long instead of being like, all right. What's the next thing? Like, how do I, how do I crush the next thing? Hmm, I got it. I get that. <clears throat> what is um? Okay. You and your friend, you go into a casino. You have no money, and he lends you fifty bucks to gamble. With those fifty bucks, you win a hundred thousand dollars. How much would you give him back? Um. Probably half. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, this is the last one, and we'll, we'll we'll get into the interview. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you would give someone? The best advice. I think like the best advice changes for every person. Um, like the advice that I give my four-year-old would be vastly different than the advice that I give. Um. You know, a subordinate at work. Let's target it. Um, let's target it to the audience of the podcast of, of people that are struggling with their uh, to uh, in leadership roles. 
leaders in the military where they're struggling, what is the best piece of advice that you can give someone? To be transparent. Okay. There's nothing wrong with people seeing your failures and seeing that you don't know everything because um, you don't and you do fail. And um, I think transparency is the best way for people to love a leader is to know that he's trying and that he's imperfect. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Well, that finishes up the gun. It, uh, it's not, I'm sorry. It was not that exciting. I mean, but I mean, there, there's a lot more to spice up this, uh, this interview, but so to, to kick off, right. Um, I know by following you and, and, and do some research on you that your life was a, a lot different than what it is now before you joined the army before 9-11 can you kind of like give us an insight of who was tim kennedy then and um how, how is he now and how is he a much better person now if you think he, tim kennedy is a better person i guess um well leading up to 9-11 I, I was fighting as a professional fighter and um you know ranked top 10 in the world just won some big huge tournaments um and uh you know like recognized as kind of the next up and coming superstar and that was in my head and uh, i was definitely living as if i was the next best greatest hottest thing ever um so a lot of really dumb choices a lot of a lot of parties a lot of women um and um like a period of my life where I had a few women pregnant all at the same time, and uh, I thought I had AIDS, uh, and then watched some planes slam into the buildings in New York, and uh, that was like a wake-up call to how pathetic I was as a human, and knowing that I needed to change, so that uh, on, on September 11th, I walked down to the recruiter's office to, to figure out what I could do. And uh, did you did you sign up as in as in eighteen X Ray, eleven Bravo, and then went to selection? I mean, how did that go? Yeah, my uh, my initial contract was a delayed enlistment in our eighteen X Ray program, mm -hmm. so it's a special forces recruit. Um, so I went in with a primary MOS of eleven Bravo, and then after uh, you you finish basic and infantry and airborne school, then you go to selection. And then you're, you know, an 18 X-ray while you're going through the program. And then once you get your Green Beret, you get your MOS. And I was an 18 Bravo, Special Forces Weapons Sergeant. And I was that for 15 years until just this year where I'm taking a team. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, <clears throat> I, from listening to previous pod podcasts, I heard, I heard a story about um, when you first joined – uh, got to your team, something happened that you ended up fighting the entire team and all the way up to your team sergeant. Uh, you want to talk about that maybe a little bit? Yeah, the uh, I wasn't right when I got to my team because they had given me plenty of opportunities to, to kind of get my shit straight. It was, it was on our first deployments in Iraq. And um, we were part of a task force that was comprised of the most – elite special mission units on the planet and uh, we were pretty fortunate to be part of this task force and we were looking for this guy named Zar uh, Zarkawi bad guy super horrible yeah. evil terrorist Piece of shit. and um, yeah we uh, we were flying with 160th 
SOAR Special Operations uh, Aviation Group. And we were getting shot at every single night, every time we're coming in, every time that we're leaving, you know, birds were coming home with bullet holes in them. And uh, we lost one of our aircraft that night. So we had to adjust our load plan. And me being the, the least senior, senior guy on the team, I got cut from the load plan. And I was pissed. I was like, man, I'm you know, fastest, I'm strongest, I'm the best shooter, you know, I'm the freshest, I'm the hungriest, you know, like, I'm, if anybody's gonna, should be on this helicopter, it should be me. Yeah, you're that typical like, young you motherfucker that just yeah. wants to do shit. 100%, you know, my team sergeants know, go check the headspace and time it on the 50 cal, make sure everything's set, because you're, you're on the QRF, if something happens to us, and I was just, like, pissed off, this is dumb, and, um, you know, I kind of threw a, a temper tantrum, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. So they go off, they do the mission, they have a rough night, QRF doesn't get called, they come back, you know, and I was, I was still like bitchy about it. And um, I was like, I better be on the next bird, you you won't regret bringing me. And he's like, well, I regret that you're here. Why don't you go get your boxing gloves and uh, meet us down in the tent? So I get my stuff and I was like, I'm going to scuff this dude up. <laughs> you know, he's like, he <clears throat> he's going to learn exactly who I am. And, uh, and what I bring to the table. Now, when I got down to the, te- the tent, the kind of whole team is there. And uh, the whole team had their boxing gloves. So, uh, you know, it's a 12-man ODA. Yeah. So uh, I fought 12 dudes that night. And um, I think I, I beat up the first maybe eight. And then I got to Shane. And Shane and Carlos were both boxers. Um, one of them was Golden Glove boxers. And they one boxed for, like, the national team in Puerto Rico. Um, so... I was tuckered out by the time I got to the eighth dude and, uh, and then they started, uh, hit me some more and then, uh, I still had four more dudes to fight and, um, and they just beat the piss out of me. Nothing was said. There was no like, ha, see, it was just, Hey man, I just, I don't want to have these conversations again. And they walked out. Mm. That was the, that was it. No, no grand speech, no learn your place, no um, condescending, demeaning things. It's just like we don't have – we're in war right now. We don't have time to talk, to have these conversations over and over again. So hopefully you learn from this one. Okay. Well, as a leader today, as a, as a Green Beret team sergeant, do you, did you learn anything from that experience and you, and you still use it this day or, or no? Or you just said, fuck it. <laughs> The, it had I been in the team sergeant role then, I probably would have done the same thing. Being in that team sergeant role now, um, it's a different generation of guys that are getting to the teams. Uh, obviously, you know, millennials communicate different. Um, and, uh, the, the cold violence of how to, having to, to teach somebody doesn't really work. I think the most important thing when communicating to, the, to this generation, uh, this young younger generation of Green Berets coming in, is you have to explain the why of things. They really want to know the why. That's all, that's all you um, want to know, man. I think. Yeah. Uh, well, that doesn't matter a lot of the time. Yeah, I right. understand that, that you guys need that, but um, it doesn't matter. Like if your boss tells you to do it, fucking go and do it. Uh, but now 
as a leader, you have to unfortunately cater to that. So had my team sergeant in if he told me back then, like the reason that I'm doing this is because of X, Y, and Z, I still would have been like, I don't care. I'm not from your generation. (laughs) You know, I'd be like, I don't care. That's not my problem. I, I get it. Carlos has been on the team for 10 years and he's badass, you know, and Dave, he, like he's, he was like top of his class, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, whatever the reasons were, I wouldn't have cared. Now you, you want another reasons why, and maybe you're more intelligent for that reason. But, um, so if roles reversed in current day, I, I would explain the reasons why I was making this decision. And, um, whether it's the right decision, or the wrong decision, ultimately this is my decision and these are the reasons why. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, going on to the next question, uh, one one you think of a good leader, or at least a good, uh, a young prospect that has a lot of leadership potential. What are like some key attributes that you're looking for that person? Uh, discipline and hard work are the the biggest ones that I'm looking for. So discipline is like right place, right time, right uniform. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I, if I say be here at nine o'clock, we're going to do this thing. You are there at eight fifty, and you have everything that you need to be able to do that thing. I don't want you showing up at, you know, nine Oh one or nine Oh five and being like, Oh yeah, man, I should have, uh, I, should, I forgot to bring that thing. I didn't think, you know, I, I didn't think that would need it. Like what? I told you what we're going to be doing. I don't need to tell you all the things I need you to bring. I told you to be here at this time and what we're doing and everything else is an implied task. That means that you need to be able to think for yourself and realize all the things that we're going to do. So if I say, Hey, we're going to for PT tomorrow, we're going to show up at 6am and we're going to do a 12 mile. Um, we're going to go on a 12 mile ruck run. Like you better have your good boots. You better have your good pants that are nice and comfortable and formed with that nice soft leather belt that's not going to dig into your hips and give you like a nasty blister um you know you better have good socks you better bring water uh, maybe bring like your your favorite ball cap um like whatever you need to be able to like big boy rules i'm not going to tell you what ball cap to wear i'm not going to tell you you can't wear a ball cap i'm not going to tell you what kind of water to have um, whatever, whatever it is you need to be able to do that thing that I'm asking you to do. So that's the discipline that I'm talking about. And then the hard work is like, I don't care if you can't do it. I do care. Um, cause like we're all merit based. You can either, you can either pull your weight or you can't. Um, but I care about your try. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather have that guy that's going to die trying than the guy that does it effortlessly that never puts in the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, so discipline and hard work are the things that I look for in leaders. Okay. And <clears throat> you think that your leadership approach changed from when you were that young, uh, young guy in, in joining the army, going to fucking 11 Bravo Osa to the leadership ch- uh, now as, as a, as a, I don't know, uh, whatever your rank is right now? I don't think so. Um, like even, you know, even as like a staff sergeant in Iraq with our, or Afghanistan where I have Afghanis working with me, um, I would never ask them to do something that I was going to do. 
Um, I'm not going to ask them to eat something that I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to tell them to be someplace that I'm not going to go to. So, and that, that's like a sacrificial lamb type of leadership where like my, I'm going to be the first boot on the ground and the last boot to leave, you know, um, you're always going to have better food than me. You're always, I'm going to make sure you always have your water. Um, like we're always going to cross load ammo, you know, like all things are going to be equal and you're going to see that I have discipline and hard work. And, um, and I, I think that's a really contagious, contagious way to lead where somebody like they feel like they're sucking and they look over at you and you are also sucking, but you're smiling, you know, and like, yeah, this is, I'm here. I'm right here with you. You know, like I'm not getting easier than you. I'm not going to the captain's tent, hanging out with, with them in the air conditioning and doing like targeting, you know, like I'm, I'm right here, man. Let's go ahead and clean our guns. Cause that's what we have to do to be ready to go out and step out. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know, man. The, that mentality is, is I, I don't have no idea about how the Green Berets, Green Berets operate, and I'm not sure if, if you have any experience in working with the conventional side of the Army, but I think that mentality is the main thing that separates special operators with regular Army. It's, it's very, uh, like you said, I'm not going to tell you uh, what to bring. You should already know what needs to be brought, and if you don't bring it, you're going to pay. Yeah. They're, uh, it's, it's big boy rules. It's 100% merit based. So merit based means it doesn't matter your race, your religion, your gender, your height, your weight, what kit you have. You can either do the job or you can't do the job. That's all that matters. You can either. So mission first, you can either get mission complete or you can't. And whatever the excuses are or the reasons before that, are completely uh, completely irrelevant. You can either do it or you can't. It's one hundred percent merit based. It's it's a it's a much different world um, when you take the mi micromanagement of okay, you, you know you have your platoon sergeants and you have your squad leaders and you have your team leaders and here's the dissemination of information. Here's our five Ws or you know or sending this information all the way down to the lowest level here's your packing list here's the boots that you need to wear here's the socks you need to wear here's your camelback that you need to have on your rucksack here's the rucksack that you should that i'm specifically saying that you have to have and how much weight has to be in it um you know like that just doesn't work in our world mm -hmm. yeah i mean I'm, I'm a big fan of it man i mean me as as a team leader in my platoon like for example today my platoon leader was like hey did you make a packing list for your guys I was like no sir they're, they're gonna pack whatever they want to pack if we got out to the field and and they don't have and they're freezing or they got their boots wet and they got an extra boots that's gonna be on them they're gonna suck it up with 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 the the wet boots the entire time and that's what i like that's how i would want to be treated i guess yeah as long as long as your motivation is it in it is for mission success, you know, like the, the, the level of experience, knowledge, or professionalism, um, is going to change how I'm going to lead. Um, that I have worked with different groups and units where I had to be very exact and precise in what my expectations were, you know, like, here's your task condition and standard. Um, and this is how you're going to be able to 
complete this task. Like here's all the things that you're going to need. Um, and if I can't do that with, with an operator, um, I either need to retrain that dude or I need to get him off the team cause he's a liability. Okay. Do, do you, do, I don't know. Um, do you experience a lot of uh, toxic leadership on the green, green beret side? everywhere I don't think I don't know if any place is truly exempt from having to deal with bad leaders mm-hmm. um, I've had bad leaders you know I've had bad team sergeants I've had bad team leaders I've had bad company commanders I've had bad star majors and um, and regardless of what your leadership is you're not responsible for the decisions that they make you're responsible for the decisions that you are going to make and how you're going to respond to their decisions so sometimes being a good leader is making the best bad leader look the best that he can be okay yeah yeah i mean i see it happen a lot in, in in our side where You'll have a a commander make a decision about something that completely is, is does not make sense. But a lot of times you'll see you'll see everybody else just kind of like, oh, he's the boss. He made that call. It can get someone killed, but he made the call. So I don't know how, how you guys deal with it. I mean, do you guys kind of like I I don't want to say fight it, but do you guys kind of like suggest talk to the person to see if there's another outcome of it or. Or how does that go? Um, you know, so we still have rank on the special forces side. Yeah. It's not like uh, that uh, That major, that special forces major just told us to do something that's dumb. We're not going to do it. Like That's not how that works. Like We, we, we still have rank and we <laughs> still have to follow orders. Um, fortunately, a, a lot of time, uh, you know, you have leaders that you, you that really depend on the collective wisdom of you know the special forces are all senior NCOs. Like when I was in, I was the only staff sergeant on my team. Everybody else was an E seven, and um, so there's nine other E sevens and two E eights on the team, and then we had a warrant and a captain. So. That's a lot of knowledge and experience in there, and and the captain really depended on the team sergeants to the team sergeant and and the eighteen fox to um, help him make all of his decisions. Like it wasn't a democracy. He wasn't like, all right, hey, let's take a vote. Um, and even with bad, te- even with bad team leaders and company commanders that were making bad decisions, um, and th- there are. You are an insulator for your men. You can take a bad decision and follow it pretty close to the way that, like, they asked you to do it. Like, you're going to do exactly what they're going to say, but you're going to do it in your in, in the best way that it can be done. And um, and sometimes it, that takes a little thinking out of the box mm-hmm. about how how to accomplish the thing that they asked you to do or told you to do maybe in a way that they didn't anticipate even if they dictated how you're going to do it man you, you you still are there for your men to figure out the best way to do it for them 
and within the guidelines of the company's the commander's guidance. Okay. Um, so I'm saying, be smart. Yeah. So you you as a team sergeant, you you have what? Uh, you're in charge of what? Eleven guys. Uh-huh. So how how do you how do you maximize the talents of all those all those uh those NCOs under you? How do you maximize their talents? Yeah. You you give them you give them room to grow and uh plenty of rope to hang themselves with. <laughs> um, I love that scene. Yeah. The um. I I I think nothing smothers somebody's potential like micromanagement mm-hmm. um like i i think clarity of clarity and communication is the most powerful tool when trying to make a team and an individual succeed it's it's making sure everybody knows that's why i said transparency is the best thing for a leader is um everybody knows what to do you know, there's nothing worse than, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. I don't know what my task is. I don't know why I'm doing this task right now. Um, and so I, I think that communications, sometimes you have to be very strategic and deliberate about how you execute that communication. Mm-hmm. Um, but clear communication is the most powerful tool to see somebody really excel. Okay. Um, what is a... I don't know. Uh, what is a remarkable moment in your career? Maybe a life as a fighter, as a Green Beret. What, what was a, a remarkable moment in your life that made you the person that you are, made you the leader that you are today? Like, why is Tim Kennedy the way that Tim Kennedy is? Why is he such a guy that is, I don't know, puts him in situations that can literally kill him? But I don't know. Can you just, just hit on that? Yeah, I failed a lot and I prepared a lot. So the amount of time that you, I I, I love the saying, sweat more, bleed less. Um, You can also say fail more, succeed more. The, if, if you are spending time in preparation, if you're putting in the work that in the end, it will pay dividends, period. You know, everything that you want is on the far side of hard work. So, if you are, you know, you pick your sport, pick your entrepreneurial um, job, pick, pick, pick anything, and that you can succeed with the right type of preparation, work, and effort. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I look back to my, my MMA career. There's no doubt the, the reason that I was so successful was the amount of preparation that I put into it. I look at uh, my SF career from selection to combat deployments to gunfights to killings or cowie, to all of those things, all of it comes back to preparation. Um, you know, you look at businesses that are now successful that I own, like the reason that they're successful is because of preparation. Um, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, I, I had a commander one time that he told me that preparation leads to success and I mean, I can't believe in it more. Uh, it's all about putting that 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 extra, just that extra little bit of time in. If you put just a little bit extra bit of time, more than than everybody else around you, you you'll have that. You'll get it back in the back end, I guess. You know, if, if you get what I'm saying. 
I do. Um, what what is the the hardest thing that you you have ever done in in the in your life in your as a Green Beret as a leader in, in the Green Berets? Um, been a good father and husband while doing all of these other things. Uh, I mean, what, what kind of other things? It's like running seven businesses, fighting for two world titles, deploying 25 times, <laughs> fighting Iraq, fighting Afghanistan, uh, writing a book, learning how to fly a helicopter. Um, you know, while doing all of those things, I'm still a father of four children and a husband. Okay. That's hard. Yeah. I mean, your wife probably hates it. She probably hates no, it and loves got, it, maybe. She's got a pretty good life. Oh, yeah. Um, so... All that stuff that you have done, you met a lot of different people. Out of deployments, fighting, running business, you you meet you meet every different people today. Like I mean, you just met me on Instagram. Well, I met you actually. But <clears throat> who is one person that in your life completely like kind of like inspired you, or who is someone that you you talk to whenever you're going through a hard time, either as a leader or when you have a, a tough time trying to deal with your business, is, who, who is someone that you just you just want to go talk to? Um, I, I, I don't have like an individual. I have a, like a small group, like a small collective of people whose um, combined wisdom I depend on. Uh, my dad, my brother, Jocko Willink, Evan Hafer, Nick Palmashano, and Shane Steiner, and Toby Nunn. Those are guys that like I go to, to, to get help when making a tough decision. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you think is Tim Kennedy's key to success to be the best leader or best person that he can be every day? Uh, hard work, discipline, and transparency. I mean, if you, if you live by those things and you lead with those things, um, you are setting yourself up for greatness. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you, you look at every true incredible commander from Mattis to Patton, um, you know, and all the way back to the Spartans and the Greeks and the Romans, you know, you, you see these common traits of discipline, hard work, transparency. Mm -hmm. Uh, in in your in your career as as a as a Green Beret, or let's say as as a from the time you shipped off to basic training to to now, was there any time that that you thought about quitting? No. So you 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 just you just you just bet like that, huh? Man, I don't. What do you What do you think about a quitter? I mean, everybody hates quitters, but everybody has different opinions. In I mean, but what, what Qu is your quitters aren't broken? Quitters? They're they're um, failing and quitting are different things, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and and I don't mind failure failures. Man, I like them. I love seeing a guy come back to selection after failing. Like that's a dude I want on my team. Like, no, he's not a physical stud yet. Yet. But man, he's he has heart, and, and heart is one of the hardest things to train in somebody. It's easy to train somebody's body. You know, I I, I can take a fat slob and I can turn that dude into a, a, a Greek goddess in two years. But 
how do I put heart into somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, so I like failures, quitters. Um, you know, like when when people ask me on on uh, whatever social media, and I get asked all the time, how do I prepare? And I was like, hey, learn how to run, be able to pass a PT test, be right place, right time, right uniform, and don't quit. You know, like that's that's the biggest part. Don't quit. And um, and the only way that you can prepare yourself for not quitting is preparing. The more you prepare, the less quit there is in you. Like you literally will kill the quitter. Like I know my quitter. I, I there was a period of time that I named I named it. I'm not going to tell you the name because uh, I mean, it's personal. It's personal. Yeah, it's, it's personal, but it really was a, a, a person of mine. And um, and I would see that quitter, and I would I would try and find that quitter, so I could fucking stab it in the neck, there you go. kill it, and come back even harder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said I today was doing a type two muscle like speed development. Right, we're on the the Airdyne bike, all out as hard as you can possibly go for. 30 to 50 calories kind of depending on on who the athlete was and if you don't think that you can find a quitter in 50 calories on an assault bike um go and try a sprint as hard as you can for 50 calories i bet you you'll last to about 20 maybe 25 which is about 15 seconds and then you're going to take a long look at yourself and be like all right i'm gonna go ahead and slow down now I'm like, bitch, you're halfway there. You know, like you just got a chance to meet your quitter face to face and you just bitched out. You just quit. You know, like I try and find an opportunity for that quitter to come up and look me in the eyes so I can take out my Yorbro and stab it in the neck. I, I, (laughs) I love that about you, man. I I watched, I watched uh, this, uh, this thing on YouTube about, uh, kind of like a documentary on, on you have a whole bunch of you have one part civilians another one law enforcement and military people how you just put them in situations and kind of make examples of if they don't do something they will literally die uh what, what's the reason behind that why why, why uh what bred into you to to be that that way uh this has been my life you know my dad was a narcotics officer he stole planefuls of co- cocaine from Pablo Escobar. Oh, shit. Like at eight, yeah, true story. Eight years old, he's having me and my brother go into the garage, this parking garage, break into a yellow Camaro, and pull out of the glove box the name of the person that owns that vehicle and bring it back to him so he could go run them and find out where they live and then get a search warrant and then go arrest them. Um, this is me at eight years old. You know, at 18 years old, my first mass casualty incident was a school like a a christian van uh small bus that rolled over on the highway at three in the morning with women and children 15 women and children on it most of them dead like this has always been my life and like you never you, you can never be ready for that moment where you're gonna have to fight for your life right like out there right now there's somebody like if you're in the military, there's somebody training to kill you. Mm-hmm. There is period, whether it's North Korea, whether it's China, whether it's in some terrorist camp in North Africa, whether it's some drug cartel member in South America, there's, there is somebody that is sitting there training. Are you training harder than them? 
So when that, when that time, when that moment comes, it's not going to matter right then and there what you do. All that will matter is like all these tiny little decisions that led up to that moment. How much you trained, how much you prepared, how much you worked, how often you dry fired, how often you went to the range, how often you went to the gym, how much did you drink, how much did you smoke. Like all of those things are going to are going to be contributing factors to success or failure. And uh, so I put people in those situations so they can, one, see their quitter, and two, learn about themselves. They'd be like, damn, I'm not ready for this. I'm like, look at where you are. You're in an air-conditioned building with padded windows, padded walls, oh, a padded man. floor, the most conducive environment on the planet for you to be doing this training with somebody that cares about you and an instructor that wants to make sure that you're safe. Like you do not have a more safe environment to have this realization. Imagine if we're 50 feet out that door in the parking lot and there's broken glass out there and there's somebody with a shank. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, <clears throat> that, that, that watching, watching that shit is, is, is kind of, it's kind of dope sometimes. It was, the most hilarious part was you just rub your hand on their eye like, boom, you're blind. You're dead. It's, it's crazy, man. It's That's some just phenomenal stuff. Uh, what What is the most... <clears throat> what What's the most rewarding part of being a Green Beret? Like... Helping people. It's... it's I mean, there's, there's nothing better. There's nothing sweeter than seeing somebody taste freedom for the first time. Like imagine being in a valley in Afghanistan that's been under Taliban rule for 15 years, right? Like they come in and they take – like if you have a family of five, um, let's say three boys and two girls, they're going to take one of your girls. Oh, for sure. She's going she's gonna to have a pretty rough life. She, they're going to take one or two of your boys and they're going to go fight and you're never going to see them again. You know, Hopefully your wife is like post-prime or they're not going to rape her. Um, however much food you brought in from the field and how many goats you have, they're going to take probably a third or half of them. And, um, like that has been your life for as long as you can remember. Then all of a sudden, all of those assholes are dead. Nobody's coming to take your kids. Nobody's coming to steal your daughter and rape her for the rest of her life. Nobody's going to come and steal your food that you're going to depend on to survive in the winter. And, like you all, it's like, it almost doesn't compute, right? They're like, what, wait, what? Like, yeah, they're all dead. Like you, you just, you just live now, man. Like welcome, welcome to freedom. Go take care of yourself. This is called individual responsibility. This is dangerous freedom. Like nobody's going to be here to protect you, but nobody's coming in to kill you. And, uh, so you're just in charge of yourself. Enjoy. And like watching the, the gears be, like grind, be like, I don't know what to do. You guys are like, well, I'm, let me help you with that. Let me show you how to, to, you know, treat your animal for worms. Let me show you how to clean that super jacked up tooth that you have in there. Let me show you how to a different way of irrigating your fields. Let me show you how to, uh, this building that's about to collapse. I got this 18 Charlie over here. He's a pretty, pretty incredible engineer contractor. We're going to fix that building for you. Um, so, you know, like we're, we're not giving them fish. We're showing them how to fish. And, uh, and then we're giving them a lake and a boat to do it uh, metaphorically. And then you just watch these people's lives prosper. And that's, that's the most rewarding thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, 
I got no comments, man. It's 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 phenomenal what, what you guys do. Uh, I I just wish that we we could do we could do some a little bit more for those people because they 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 definitely need it. But um, I, I'm coming close to an end right here. I'm running out of questions <laughs> for you. But uh, oh, good because I gotta eat this taco right here. <laughs> yeah, I just got one last one, man, and then we can we can close it off, right? The the but the reason that I started this podcast is one, I was tired of of just listening to everybody do podcasts, and I was like, dude, I want to make my own. But the reason I made this podcast is for people that were struggling, people that leaders, people that or oh, anybody that is, is struggling to make a decision in life, is struggling to reach a goal, they're struggling to to get the fuck up and go go on a five mile run or. They're just going through a tough time, right? What is what is a message or a story that you can tell to that person that whatever you, is, is going on right now is temporary, but you need to get the fuck up and you, you go, you need to go do what you got to do. I think people they look for things like this. I'm, I'm not taking the wind from yourselves. They're looking for motivation. Right, they're they're looking for this this remarkable extraterrestrial, supernatural, spiritual, emotional thing that's going to inspire them to go and do this stuff. Fuck you. It's not. That does not exist. The only way that you're gonna get up and gun and do it is by discipline. That's a discipline and hard work were the two attributes that's looking for. There is no inspirational quote that you're gonna get out of me that's gonna tell you how to go and be better. What I'm going to tell you to do is go and be disciplined. Jocko Willink said the best. He said, motivation is always going to run out, but discipline will always last. And it, he, he, he said that quote in, in a myriad of ways, and, um, and that's the truth. You have to be – like you want to go run a five-mile run? Put it on your calendar. Schedule it. Have somebody else be there to do it with you so you have accountability. And there's the beginning of discipline. That's the beginning. Do that with everything in your life. That's awesome. That, I mean, Tim, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Uh, I really appreciate you fitting me in your busy schedule, and I really appreciate you taking some time and just and just spread some knowledge to these hungry listeners that are here, man. Um, it, it's been an honor. It's been it's been extremely fun. I am. I'm still excited. I'm still kind of shaking right now because you're something, someone I really look up to. And uh, I just want to wish you the best. And I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. My pleasure. We'll go kick ass. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, World's Greatest Leaders. I'll see you guys on the episode. Bye. Let me work. Show me where the mic is. I'm on stage, black shirt. And my Tim's, you know how I do it.